only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. We are presently doing a series entitled Cultivating a Heart for God's Purpose in the World. And last week, after the colon, it was vision. Maybe to expand that vision and glory. That is that God is about spreading his glory throughout the earth by spreading the glory of his goodness and grace throughout the earth. And that we have that goodness and grace to us through the promises of God, which we are to seek out and to enrich ourselves in, that we might uh, live out this new life. The, the After the colon this morning, you can see, it's cultivating a heart for God's purpose in the word, world, love and joy. I remind you about our own mission statement, which is uh, nurturing a joy for loving God and loving people. We believe that only true lo- that that the only true love is a love spawned by joy, marked by joy. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves those that overflow with joy in Him. Their gladness in Him overflows with goodness to others, and this is vital for us. If you really want to be happy in this world, if, as Pascal says, which I think is true, and the Bible bears it out because of how many times it holds out the the prospect of blessing and happiness to us, constantly promising this to us, to appeal to us. But as Pascal says that every man desires his own happiness, even the one who hangs himself. But that's what we're after. That's why we sin. Is because we're going for happiness. If we obey God, it's because we're convinced that our happiness lies in giving ourselves up to His gracious will. We really do live for our own happiness, no matter what we think, we do. And it shows what we really believe about God or don't believe about God. But just to say, if you have any, any inkling of a desire to... Magnify your happiness and joy in this world. Then you must, you must be about, in some way or form, making known the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ in this dark world. And I say, for your own happiness. (laughs) And we don't really believe that, or we would be all about it, right? If we thought, I'm going to make... I'm going to be the happiest I can be in this world. How do we pursue that? What do we believe about that? Well, on page 10, you'll see several passages that uh, get us into this subject. And I'll read through those uh, now. And so in each of these cases, notice how Paul's joy is bound up in those to whom he has preached, to whom he continues to minister, and also John and his communication of his fellowship with God, 
how their own joy is bound up in the, the sending forth of the gospel and the resulting fellowship that is created as they bring others to Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And of course, he went to Philippi, proclaimed the gospel, joyfully proclaiming it, getting joy in proclaiming it, having them now to be his joy, those who believe. First Thessalonians 2, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, and Paul was in Thessalonica for only three weeks, and then persecution drove him out. That's what he's talking about here. Now he writes a letter uh, back to them. Torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored to more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. You might think that here Paul's getting almost blasphemous, you know, because you'd think at the appearing of Jesus, what is your glory? Well, it's Jesus and Jesus only. This shows how critical our relationship to others is and how critical and glorious it is to make known Christ and to be a part of that whole process that this is part of our joy and crown in that day that we were vital participants in some way, in many ways, in getting the gospel to a lost world. 1 Thessalonians 3. Now, he's describing what happened when he found out that they were doing okay. Now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Talk about your life being hooked to the well-being of other people. Glorious thing. And then John. And by the way, the... the, (laughs) We'll see the personal pronoun in verse 4, our. People didn't know what to do with it, and so it was changed by uh, scribes to your because it just didn't seem right that it was our. But the original text is very likely it's our, which it helps us on this very subject. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, speaking of Christ here, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let us pray.
Oh Lord, we pray that we will believe that we will so enjoy and delight in your greatness and goodness that we will so live out your promises in our day-to-day lives, laying hold of your goodness through promise. And that, Lord, as part of laying hold of that goodness, we will give up our lives to your will. And, and, And a part of that faith and part of trusting in your promise to give ourselves to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we pray that it will be a part of our cheerful, glad sacrifice. Lord, that we will not be driven by guilt or pressure, but we will be driven, as was Paul, who said, the love of Christ constrains us. Lord, May we, as John himself said, that we've come to know and love, uh, know and believe the love that God has for us, and we love because he's first loved us. Lord, may this mark us, ever more deeply delving into your goodness and greatness through your promise, and ever more uh, excitedly, ever more diligently, ever more gladly giving our lives for the sake of others. Bless us, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We we read about the situation of women in India that it is very, very serious, beyond anything government statistics uh, can tell us, that women, first of all, are routinely aborted, just because they are female, that infanticide among uh, female babies is widespread, that those who happen to be able to grow up are mostly illiterate, Uh, widows are shamed and cast into the streets, and they live in isolation, and women overall are just degraded and despised their whole lives. The only, by and large, the only people that can reach these women are other women. And so with Gospel for Asia in India, there are some 2,000 female missionaries that are visiting house to house, village to village, to reach these abused and broken women. One figure of an interview of some 600 women had 75% of them reported sexual abuse. 75%. One such woman was Jeshri. She actually overheard her parents talking about what a curse she was to their family. And she took the regular route of many young women of suicide. That is, she was about to. She had found the pesticide that was so readily available, mixed it in the water, had it in her hand. When there was, she overheard a broadcast from Gospel, uh, Gospel for Asia on the radio from a neighbor. And because of the widespread rate of suicide, in fact, it's the number two killer of women in reproductive years. Number two killer. doesn't even rate in America in the top ten right, for women. 
Because of that, the broadcast actually said, do not suicide yourself. That's the literal translation. Do not suicide yourself. There is hope in Jesus Christ. She was curious. She threw out the poison. She wrote a letter, made contact, was converted, and she has since become one of those missionaries, went to Bible school, and now is engaged in this ministry. And it's a ministry that is dangerous. There's a report of two women that were surrounded by 30 students. Uh, uh, yeah, 30 uh, students who attacked them and hit them and endangered them until they were rescued by one of their fellow workers. And four women and uh, two men, uh, pastors, the four missionary women attacked and beaten in their home. And Tom Shitamong, coming home from church with his family, critically injured uh, due to attack. You have to ask the question, why do these people do it? No. To know I'm committing myself to this message. I'm committing myself to reach these women. And it may mean that I lose my life. It may mean that I will be beaten. It may mean that I'll lose everything. Yet they do it. And I guarantee you these women aren't whining about their situation. They're not complaining. They're not griping about how bad they have it, even though their life is endangered. It's because they are overflowing with the joy of what God has done in their life through Jesus Christ. And they must, they must talk to others about it. They must speak this word. They must minister this grace to others. Our faith is rooted in a God that is the true God, we believe, but such a different God than the gods of other religions. As C.S. Lewis says, in Christianity, against all these other religions, God is not a static thing, not even a static person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity. Speaking of the Trinity... Think of the three persons within the one God. He says, it's a pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you won't think me irreverent, a kind of dance going on within the Trinity. Cornelius Plantinga uh, enlarges on this and describes it beautifully in terms of the relationship of the persons of the Godhead. The persons within God exalt each other commune with each other, and defer to one another. Each divine person harbors the others at the center of his being. In constant movement of overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the others. God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard. That is God. That is what is the root of the universe. The very meaning of the universe is relationship. The very reason this world is created is that we might enter into that relationship, that we might have such relationship with one another. Now, the fact that God is so nourished within himself, the fact that God is so infinitely satisfied 
utterly and eternally satisfied within himself. We could put it this way, and this is Daniel Fuller's uh, terminology, that his need love is eternally satisfied. His need love. And so God did not create the world to get something from the world, but to give himself away freely to the world. Okay? The need, his need love is satisfied, and now he pours him out, himself out in benevolent love. And this ensures that he is not out to use or abuse us. He's not out to get something from us or keep something from us. So this is our first point, God's need love and his benevolent love. God's need love and his benevolent love. Now, kids, there's a book, 1990, uh, written by Stephen Liley called Dinner with the Fox. Okay? Dinner with the Fox. Thin red fox is getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. What's he going to do? He's going to die if he doesn't get something to eat. So, thin red fox has an idea. He's going to invite white hen and brown hare, and that's H-A-R-E, right, rabbit, brown hare. He's going to invite them to dinner to what he calls a rather special meal. And a particularly delicious recipe. They get all excited and are quite honored that they get to come to such a meal that Fox is going to prepare for them. Kids, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, they are the meal, right? Yeah. (laughs) He just neglects to tell them that white hen and brown hair are the main course for the meal. And in the process, in the story, as Stephen Liley tells it, uh, thin red fox becomes plump red fox. (laughs) And uh, eventually he gets his uh, comeuppance. But um, this strangely reminds me, and you'll just have to pardon me, um, of (laughs) one of the comics in Gary Larson. Somehow it's related, okay? He lists this as one of his favorites. You'll see the common theme. A mother chicken with glasses and an apron is standing at the bed of her chicken son, right? Who's sick, sitting up in bed. He's got a tray in front of him and a bowl and a spoon in the bowl. You may know what's coming. She says, quit complaining and eat it. Number one, chicken soup is good for the flu. And number two, it's nobody we know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and you think about that, if you're going to have a chicken in a cartoon, that, you have some problems there with that, you know. Of course, the, uh, the Chick-fil-A cows are happy about that story, I know. <clears throat> well, back to this story of the thin red fox, white hen and brown hair. You see, God doesn't invite us to his banquet to get something from us or to use us. He doesn't need us in that way. He's infinitely, perfectly satisfied in himself. He invites us to his banquet so that he can spend himself lavishly upon us. So that we, he can exalt the greatness of his goodness and grace by how good he is to us. That's how he gains his glory. 
He has everything within himself and has always had it. He's always delighted in his unlimited beauty. And now he desires to bring us to enjoy that beauty. For us to feast on his goodness and greatness. Even uh, to be brought in as, as he infinitely admires the perfect uh, duplication of himself in his son. The perfect exact image of himself in his son. So he brings us to the greatest happiness possible is to enjoy God and his glory. And this is how he shows his glory. And uh, you can think of it as a play that has been perfectly rehearsed and prepared. And the final dress rehearsal is done on a Thursday night. It's going to be open on Friday night. Well, everything is there in place. All the beauty and the majesty and and wonder of this play, this musical, is there on Thursday night. But it's not been given to the public, okay? And there's the infinite glory and beauty of God, infinitely, perfectly ready. And now with the creation of the world and redemption through Jesus Christ, that beauty goes public. That beauty is shown for our enjoyment. And, of course, it culminates in the coming of the Son of God, to take flesh, to live a perfect life, to die for our sins and to be raised so that we can have a new life in Him. And that's why, again, in John 1, as we saw during Christmas season, He says, the Word that is God became flesh, dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. Full of what? Full of grace. Full of steadfast love as this is his word for that Old Testament phrase. And so his glory that was revealed in Christ is a glory that's full of grace, full of faithfulness. And so Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 4.15, it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What God's about in this world, extending grace, to more and more people, he might get more and more glory. And the question is, are we going to be a part of that? And this is, not, this is a question really that digs deep into, do we trust him? Do we love him? Do we want him? Do we desire him? It's the most serious question we can ask of ourselves. It's, it's not... It, The Scriptures don't allow us to be outside of God's purpose, to ignore and despise God's purpose of making known His glory. They call us to the joyful participation in making known His glory in our lives and in this world. And so Isaiah 64.4 can say of this God, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Who ever heard of such a God? Wait, you mean he doesn't need me and my sacrifices and all that? No, no. He acts on behalf of those who trust in him and wait for him. That's what he does. Well, then it doesn't matter if I'm helpless, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if I bring anything to the table or not, right? No, it doesn't. He acts for those who helplessly depend upon him. So the motto on God's wall, so to speak, is that the chief end of God 
is to act for the benefit of his people for his own glory. That's his chief end. To act for our benefit for his glory. Because in that last day, the Lord alone will be exalted, Isaiah 2.11. As he says in Isaiah 48.11, he will not give his glory to another. And he gains this glory through his goodness. Even in wrath, even in his wrath that will be poured out upon those who refuse him, he is defending his goodness and glory by punishing those who would receive, or refuse to receive and enjoy and honor this goodness. It is so precious, it is so magnificent to refuse that goodness, to despise it, deserves everlasting punishment. He is about glorifying his goodness. Now, this is something then of God's need, love, and his benevolent love. But there is a corollary for us of satisfying our need, love, in him so that we are enriched to pour out benevolent love to others. We must have our need, love, met by God himself. We are such noble creatures As Pascal and others have said, there's this chasm in us. It cannot be filled by anyone but God himself. And so our our first duty in life is to seek with all of our hearts to know this God, to be satisfied in him, to experience the contentment and joy that we crave, that we can only have in him. And this includes not just in isolation, but this includes how we talk to one another of His greatness and goodness and how we hold the promises up to one another, encourage one another to adore Him and trust Him and encourage one another to give our lives up to Him, encourage one another to enter into the joy of making Him known. And this fellowship God greatly desires for us. It's too bad that Revelation 3.20 is often only used for unbelievers, but it's primarily, it's really meaning is for believers that he knocks at the door and whoever lets him in, he will come in and fellowship with him. He's knocking 24 hours a day for each of us, for this fellowship that he desires for us. And unlike a 50-minute appointment that you get with a psychiatrist and it's up, Jesus will fellowship with you as long as you want. (laughs) He guarantees that you'll be satisfied in Him for all time to come. As He said to the woman in Samaria in John 4, He who drinks of this water that's before you will thirst again, but if you drink of the water that I will give him, he will never be thirsty again. It will become in him a string of water welling up to eternal life. He will fill us and enrich us. And it would be so sad to think that that could ever be interrupted. But he says, it will not be interrupted. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so the way the Christian life works is that God has established and proven his love, demonstrated his love in the cross of Jesus Christ. And this convinces us that everything after this is going to come from his love. This is why we can say, as uh, Mark in Sunday school so wonderfully set before us again, Romans 8, 28, that all things will work together for good. Why? Because he gave his son for me. Everything is going to work together for good. 
Real faith in Jesus Christ having died for us, real faith in what God has expressed through Jesus Christ means that we keep entrusting ourselves to this God whom we are convinced loves us in Christ Jesus. So faith looks to the future constantly. It has an expectation, a constant dependence, even in the greatest difficulties. And I love wedding these two verses together. Jeremiah 32, 41 says that he, rejoice, he will rejoice over us to do us good. Couple that with Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good. And you think of God rejoicing to work good in all of our circumstances. I love that thought. It, it reminds me actually a little, in a minor way of myself, when this past season I was able to get online and find not anything really that expensive, but a bunch of little things, fun things for Kay for, for Christmas. And, you know, wrap them up and just sit there, you know, wait for her to open them and see how fun they are. Oh, yeah, I love this. I love that. You know, just, just loving that moment when something that you especially picked out for her and know that she'll like, she opens it and says, oh, you know, that little female thing you just love. <laughs> Well, think of God's unlimited joy rejoicing over you in the midst of the most terrible things that have and will happen to you. I'm going to bring such good in your life because I gave my son for you. Now I'll freely give you all things. Nothing can interfere with that. Nothing. Everything will be your servant to serve your good, to make you like Jesus, to form you into God's image. It cannot be interrupted. And so we can be assured of, as Daniel Fuller says, assured of the good things he will do for us in the future. We can be confident that he will take circumstances that now seem like extremely hurtful stumbling blocks and work so that in time we will see them as key stepping stones to the happy future God wants us to have. So, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's not for the select few. That is for everyday believers that we would have that kind of faith in Him. Entrusting ourselves to Him like you entrust yourself to a doctor as He gives you prescription, as He gives you, prescribes certain uh, um, techniques or, or certain uh, exercises and certain medicines and certain treatments. And you submit yourself to Him. And that's how we submit ourselves to the gracious will of God, of whom it is said at the end of Psalm 78, with skillful hands, God leads us as an upright shepherd. He shepherded the people of Israel. And so we entrust ourselves into His hands. And that's how we glorify Him, you see. That's how we honor Him. By showing how great he is. Listen to how uh, what Martin Luther says about this. Faith honors him whom it trusts with the most reverent and highest regard since it considers him truthful and trustworthy. There is no other honor equal to the estimate of truthfulness and righteousness with which we honor him whom we trust. 
Could we ascribe to a man anything greater than truthfulness and righteousness and perfect goodness? On the other hand, there's no way in which we can show greater contempt to regard him as false and wicked and to be suspicious of him as we do when we do not trust him. So when the soul firmly trusts God's promises, it regards him as truthful and righteous. Nothing more excellent than this can be ascribed to God. The very highest worship of God is that we ascribe him to be And that exalts him, doesn't it? It exalts his goodness. It exalts his faithfulness when we entrust ourselves to him in this way. So, my dear friend, Knox Chamblin, a professor who is now struggling with cancer, just uh, on his um, website, left this. He's going back into the hospital because the cancer... There's some issues. And Ginger, his wife, wrote, Knox and I are resting on the truth of many a biblical text, among them the following, Psalm 27, 13 through 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And they continue with other passages. You see... This is how we satisfy our need love in Him by laying hold of Him because of His promise, laying hold of His goodness through His promises, feasting upon Him, depending upon Him, expecting Him to work good in all circumstances. And it's critical that we live this life because that's what we offer to the world is hope. I love when Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, I want you to grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Or the way he described us before we knew Christ. He says, we were without hope, having no hope and without God in this world. But if we can't live out that hope, if we can't experience that hope and have the greatest expectation for what God is going to do this morning, this afternoon, tonight, this week, next week. What do we offer the world? What do we offer them? We offer them this God who has given His Son to die. He has come in His Son to die for us and commits Himself that If we give our lives into his hands, he will take us and make us his children and work for our good to our dying day. And spreading that news, making that known, is part of increasing our joy. It's that we have a joy in him that's then multiplied as we speak it to others, as these passages indicate. Our joy in Him just keeps being cultivated and increased as we give ourselves away to others. And so we become the very living breath of the gospel. We're like the lepers in Second Kings 7 who were, because the Syrian army had surrounded Samaria, the, the, the people were starving within the city. They were, it was getting very, very bad. And these four lepers... Uh, at one point says, hey, we're going to die in the city. Why don't we go out to the Syrians and just see if maybe they'll take us in. At least they'd have food. If they kill us, what do we lose, right? So they go out to the Syrian camp, and the Syrians have abandoned the camp. 
Because it says they heard a sound of many chariots in the night and they thought an army was coming against them and they just left. You know, the lepers are like, (laughs) eating in the tents, taking gold and silver, storing it away, going back and getting some more. And they stop in the middle and they say, how can we sit here and do this and not go back in the city and tell everybody else that these riches are out here? How, How can we do that? And that's the question for us. Do we believe in Acts, as it says, the quote from the Lord in Acts 20, 35, that it is more blessed to give than to receive? Do we really believe that? And can we live expectantly? And can we trust in God that He would overcome all of our fear and all of our resistance to it? Listen again uh, to Daniel Fuller. He says... Uh, for all of us, as for Paul, it should be unthinkable to keep to ourselves the knowledge that God's ultimate delight is to do the greatest good for others by letting them share in the supreme joy he has in himself. How could any of us enjoy heaven unless we had mobilized our time, talents, and treasure to do our utmost good to get the good news to the rest of the world? How, how could we enjoy heaven, he says? Sadly, many professing Christians do not feel this imperative demand because they, through unbelief, are themselves not experiencing God's great joy and peace. That's why it may seem like I'm tipping so much about your own experience through the promises of God, your own experience of His grace and peace. But it's because of things like this. If we don't own it, if we're not living it, if we're not experiencing it, how can we joyfully bring it to anyone else, right? Later, uh, Jonathan Edwards says, the nature of true virtue in his article, he defines virtue as the desire to extend and spread the very best to as many people as possible without playing favorites to one's self, family, or group of preferred people. The essence of vice is to do the opposite. The essence of vice is to do the opposite. How encouraging, how encouraging though, in the words of Ezekiel, Chapter 18, let me just read this and I'll close. If a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Is a wonderful promise to us. We, we simply have to come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. I'm not feeding on your glory and your goodness and, and, and going after your promises as we talked about last week, searching the word, searching to know you, searching to taste your goodness, your promise, to gather those promises, to cultivate and garner them, to rely on them, to memorize them, to live them out, to have them bolster me and, con- and control me so that your love is communicated through, to me through those promises and all confirmed in the precious blood of Christ. You can be that kind of person. (laughs) 
you all can be those kinds of people living out the precious promises of God and becoming more and more a light in this dark world. God will do it. Let us pray. O Lord, bring about this in our lives that we will exalt your glory by the way we rest in your promise, expect you to do good, and the way, Lord, we make known to a world without hope the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Bless us, Lord, even this week that we will grow in this grace and prepare us as we come to next week talking about prayer and action, the specifics of what we can do. But, oh, Lord, give us hearts that rest in your goodness so that we have a message that we are eager to share at the right time in the right way as you give us opportunity and to participate in the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world. Bless us for your namesake. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away